0: Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. For most of the summer, we have talked about the storyline of the Bible. It started with creation. It was wonderful, perfect. And then it went on a downward spiral, and that didn't take too long. By the second generation, murder was on the scene. And ever since the fall of humanity, it's about what God has been doing to reconnect, and as we've seen that unfold so far throughout the Old Testament. Well, today that story continues, and it's kind of a two-for-one deal. So they say that nothing's free. Well, there you go. And today's two-for-one is that not only are we going to highlight the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity— we're also going to highlight the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. Bottom line is today is all about the ultimate storyline of the Bible of God at work in this world and in our lives. You see, Jesus Christ came to earth. He continued the work of God in a very dramatic way. He did all kinds of amazing stuff. He healed blind people. He set prisoners' free. He helped people who were disconnected from society. He gave people truth. On so many levels, Jesus was doing the work of God. Twelve disciples loved it. The people who followed Jesus loved being around Him. But then one day, Jesus came to them and He said, I'm going to go away. This bothered them terribly because they thought, well, if Jesus is going away, then all this great stuff that God is doing is going to go away. So in the Gospel of John, John records Jesus telling them, I am going to go away, but when I go away, I'm going to send someone else to help you. And Acts chapter 1 tells a bit about that continuation work of Jesus. Just because He's gone from the earth, dead, buried, resurrected, ascended back into heaven, doesn't mean God's activity in this world has come to an end. Quite the opposite. It continues just as God meant it to be. So He is still calling people to have a relationship with Him. He is still calling people to love each other as He designed us. God is still at work helping people who are disconnected and in need of hope. God is still opening up lives, and He is still calling individuals as He did throughout all of Scripture, calling them to be a partner with Him in what He's doing in this world. This church exists because we have felt that calling of God, that God has called us to something beyond ourselves, to operate in a power that's beyond our natural capabilities, to be used by Him so that others can be reconnected to God, so that marriages can be restored and captives be set free. Where did this come from? If Jesus is gone, how does it continue? Well, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. After His suffering, He presented Himself to them And gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. When the author here tells us about his former book, as it was said in verse 1, he's talking about a gospel. Can you guess which gospel he's speaking of? Luke, how amazing that you all would know that after two and a half years of studying Luke. Yeah, Luke wrote both. The Gospel of Luke is the prequel, the book of Acts, the sequel. In the Gospel of Luke, we are told how Jesus gave us His life. In the book of Acts, we are told how Jesus gave us His power through the person and power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And Luke here tells us that the book that's His gospel that He recorded for us, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So that's His works and His words. Now, some people really like Jesus' works. Oh, look, there's Jesus. He's feeding the hungry. He's giving sight to the blind. He's, He's playing with children. We love that, where some have resistance. It's not so much to Jesus' works but to His words. I am God. I am Savior. I am Creator. I am the judge of the living and the dead. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. The conflict, the controversy occurs over Jesus' words. So, as you read the Gospels, you, you look at the things that Jesus did and you say, that's amazing." That Jesus would love and serve and give so perfectly. But don't overlook his words. Who he says he is is ultimately why he died. He was put to death, not so much for what he did, but for the many things he said, claiming to be God. He's making claims that no one else in the history of the world will make. He says he's the creator the Redeemer. He says He is God among us. And then if we disagree with Him, we go back to those works that He did, and we ask, would someone like that lie to us? Does He have the kind of character that compels me to not only admire His works, but to trust in His words? And that's exactly what Luke is saying. He's setting it all up around Jesus. When it comes to Jesus' works, It's His sinless life, His death in our place for our sins. It's His burial and resurrection that constitutes the heart of Jesus' works. And then, when He tells us that we can turn from our sin, that we can trust in Him, that in Him there is forgiveness and eternal life, well, then His words and His works come together. And so Luke continues in the book of Acts showing us the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. That the still living Jesus continues to work in, for, and through us. So he begins by telling us about Jesus' life and then he transitions into telling us about Jesus' power. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Now remember, this is after Easter. He's already... Been crucified, buried, third day, rose again on Easter Sunday. For 40 days, he continues to walk among us and among his disciples and meeting with folks. Near the end of that 40 days, before he is taken back up into heaven, he gives this command Do not leave Jerusalem. That's where they are. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And down in verse 8, he was very clear But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. We will come back around to verse 8 again, but here's the big idea for now. Jesus' life and power are not just to be admired. A non-Christian can look at Jesus' life and Jesus' power and admire it. Only a Christian can look at Jesus' life and Jesus' power and actually experience it. How many of you have looked at Jesus' life and thought, that's an amazing life. He had no sin. He never took advantage of anyone, never stole anything, never was inappropriate with women. He was always generous, always told the truth. He suffered nobly. How many of you have looked at Jesus' life and thought, man, that's good, but if you only admire it, it's not enough? Jesus doesn't want you just to admire His life. He wants you to experience His life through the power, presence, and person of the Holy Spirit. So after Jesus rises from the dead, everyone's excited. What do we do now? And Jesus' answer in verse 4 was, wait. Wait, because the Christian life cannot be lived apart from Christ's power. You see, Jesus is not just an example for us. He's the one who empowers us to follow His example. Do you get that? Again, verse 8 tells us, but you will receive power. There was a Swedish chemist many years ago who discovered something very powerful. And because he had discovered it, he wanted to be able to name it, And so he called a friend of his who was a Greek scholar. Now, I don't know if this person was a Christian or not, but the chemist asked him, what is the Greek word for power? It's the same word that's used here. It's dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. Our word dynamite comes from the Bible word that describes the Holy Spirit. All right, so when he shows up, boom, things happen. That means when the Holy Spirit shows up, you know it. Things change. Things happen. The Christian life is about that kind of power, that kind of supernatural God-given power, and you cannot understand the power of the Holy Spirit apart from the life of Jesus. There is no example of what it means to live a Spirit-empowered life apart from Jesus. So we have to look at Him. And that's what Luke is telling us. He says, okay, Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He lives without sin. He dies for our sins. He rises for our sin. He evidences it for 40 days. And he tells his people, don't go do ministry yet. Wait. You need power. And the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and cause you to be like me. That's why the former book, Luke, And the latter book, Acts, go together. So in the Gospel of Luke, there's this perfect relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in His mother, Mary. If you remember at Jesus' baptism, the whole trinity was, was there. God the Father spoke from heaven. God the Son is coming up out of water. And who descends upon Him? God the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. This is to show publicly that Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was done publicly so others could see this. Jesus already knew it. This wasn't for His understanding. This was for our understanding. Now, all of this is either true or the most arrogant statements ever made in the history of the world That Jesus was led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. That He was filled with the Spirit. He suffered by the power of the Holy Spirit. That He persevered and loved by that same Spirit. That He engaged in spiritual conflict with the demonic realm with the power of the Holy Spirit. That He prayed and trained leaders by the power of the Holy Spirit that he humbly for the first 30 years of his life went about a job as a carpenter, humbly serving in a small city in a poor family by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he died still filled and led by the Holy Spirit. So get this, to be Spirit-filled doesn't necessarily mean you're going to avoid suffering. Sometimes, The Holy Spirit will not get you around suffering, but He will get you through suffering. That's what happens with Jesus. And Jesus, we read elsewhere in the New Testament, was raised from death by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that same section, it goes on to say, and this is Romans 8, verse 11, that that same Spirit of God, that same power who raised Jesus from the dead lives where? Where? In you. He lives in you, the Christian. So that you don't just get to admire Jesus' life, you get to experience Jesus' life. And all of this, friends, is for mission. It's not just so you and I can be better persons. This is not so that we can achieve our potential, meet all of our objectives, be all that we can be. This is exclusively. For Jesus' mission. We read this in the next section of Acts chapter 1. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But, and here's that verse again, you will receive power. Power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, there's our mission. The Holy Spirit comes so that we will be His witnesses on Jesus' mission, telling people about Him everywhere, in Jerusalem, where they are, throughout Judea, which is the larger region, in Samaria, which is the neighboring region, and to the ends of the earth to the darkest, remotest places like Tallahassee and Miami. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men, those are angels, suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday He will return from heaven in the same way you saw Him go. And this explains where Jesus is today. So why all of this? Here's the deal. It's not about your mission. It's not about my mission. It's about Jesus' mission. You know, a lot of people have a mission, and they want to use Jesus for their mission grow my business, increase my health, fix my family. And it's not that necessarily any of those are bad. In fact, Jesus might even approve of them. But what we've got to be careful about is that we are never allowed to use Jesus for our mission. It's Jesus' mission, and we are to be a part of it. So as a church, you need to know this. We're supposed to be about his mission. Our mission is to simply do what he told us to do. Do you get that? And he said that we are to be his witnesses. That's our mission. So let me talk very briefly about his mission. Number one, it's under his sovereign rule. He ascended back into heaven, and right now he's seated on a throne. So Jesus' entire mission is under his sovereign rule. I'm not in charge, Jesus is. You're not in charge, Jesus is. The whole mission on earth is under the ruling, resurrected, reigning Jesus who is seated on a throne right now. Number two, the mission of Jesus is about the expansion of his kingdom through the church you would read later if you kept reading in Acts chapters 2 and 3, that Jesus doesn't begin a bunch of organizations. He begins one living organism called the church. And Jesus' mission is the expansion of His kingdom. The goal then is always people meeting Jesus. That's the goal. So we're talking more Christians and better Christians and more churches and better churches. That's the mission. And number three, Jesus' mission is for all people, all nations, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's kind of a big request, right? The earth, that's the mission. Now, a lot of people on earth already have their own religion. And we're going to go there then, ourselves or or through others, and tell them that they're worshiping a false God. And today, the first thing that would happen is that we would have to have a committee, and they would meet to decide, is this hate speech and intolerant? But let me say this. The most loving thing we can do is tell people about Jesus. It starts across the street. It extends across the globe. As we go back to Acts 1, one final question for us today. How long do we have to keep doing this? That was kind of their first question. Jesus says, don't worry about it. It's not for you to know the time that I'm coming back, and here's why. Jesus wants us to be less concerned with His coming and more concerned with our going. It's been 2,000 years, and some would say He's awfully slow about coming back around. He's not slow. The Bible tells us He's patient, wanting everyone to come to repentance. So we're going to continue pressing forward by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that requires our witness. 39 times in the book of Acts talks about us being witnesses. Now, this may surprise you. The word witness comes from the same word as martyr. It's about one who trades their life. You know, there's lots of reasons why you and I would not want to talk about Jesus. We might list them as opposition, ostracism, criticism. We are to be His witnesses. That's praying for people, loving people, serving people, but also speaking to people, talking to them about Jesus, co-workers, family, neighbors, friends, enemies. This is what we're commissioned to do, to be witnesses wherever God has placed us, to be a witness to the person and work of Jesus. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.